0: through the class and they go to the bathroom by themselves, we're in good shape. Mom said they started when they're two. <laughs> Grace started when she was two. Mom was her teacher then, though. The title of this message today, if I had a title, it would be A Lasting Change. A Lasting Change. Have you experienced a lasting change? Exodus 34, 28 and 29 says this. Actually, I want to give you just a second before I start reading. See those Bibles in the back of the chairs? Some of y'all bring your Bibles with you. Good old-fashioned Bibles. They wrote them on paper. I get carried away a lot of times and, and think it's just up on the screen. And it's easier for me to read off the screen because it's bigger instead of going down here in my text of my book and read it to you. So I want to give you all a second to get to it in your Bibles. Everybody there? Did you make it on time? Did you make it there yet? Okay. Exodus 34, 28 says, So he, so he was there with the, with the Lord 40 days. We're talking about Moses here. So Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drink water and he and he it's capital there so it's talking about God wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant the ten commandments so Moses was there for 40 days and 40 nights he ate no food he ate no water that's a fast right not even water there he he ate so he had no distractions he spent 40 days and 40 nights alone with God with zero distractions if you read this if you go back and read before this they didn't even allow the animals to eat around the mountain where they were at he didn't want any distractions there between him and God. And 29 says, Now it was so when Moses came down from the mountain Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. And I want to talk about that word there, shone. While he talked with him. While he talked with God, his face shone. The definition of that word there, shone, means to send out rays or to shine. Can you imagine this? His skin actually created light it shined light out of his skin do you think Moses had to tell people he was a Christian after that happened he looked different there was an outward appearance that that was that was changed another man who had an outward appearance changed in Acts chapter 9 the story of Saul Saul was Saul was a very educated highly educated man don't fall asleep on me now right he's a highly educated man he was, he was educated by some of the most renowned scholars of his day. He had warrants for Christians. He believed with the old, with, with the old teachings. He had warrants for Christians. He was going around, and he, and he would collect them up and arrest them, and he would bring them out for them to be, to be killed, to be beheaded, right? People say that Saul killed people, and he didn't firsthand kill them, but he did bring them in to be killed. So he had an encounter on the road to Damascus. Jesus knocked him off his donkey, knocked him off his animal. He was blinded. He saw a light, a bright light that blinded him, right? He had to go to town. He said, Lord, Lord, why, he said, why do you persecute me? Jesus said, and he said, I didn't persecute you. I was persecuting these people. I said, by persecuting them, you were persecuting me. Does that make sense? So he saw the light. He was, he was blinded and he repented of his old way of thinking, Then he went to town, and and Ananias came and prayed for him. The scales fell off his eyes, and and he learned the disciples' doctrines. He stayed with the disciples for a period of time after this to learn their doctrine. Even though he was a highly educated man, he realized that his way of thinking wasn't right. He repented from that way of thinking, and his mind changed. He learned the ways of the doctrine of the disciples. Then after this happened, he walked all over Asia starting churches. Did you already said he walked all over Asia starting churches? He didn't have... He didn't have a train. He didn't have a bus. He didn't have, he didn't even have a horse. He was on foot walking all around Asia. Wouldn't you say that's a lasting change? I'd say that's a huge change right there. The churches then when it started all had the same doctrine, right? It started out with Jesus. He taught them, he taught them what to do, how to teach it, where to go, how to pray, right? How to heal, how to speak to things. Jesus taught them all these things. There was 11 of them. There was 12 of them, but we all know what happened with Judas. So there was 11 of them. They tried to decide who was going to be the next disciple, but Jesus chose the next disciple. It would have been Paul, right? So this, these teachings came straight from Jesus Christ. So all these churches, we, so, so what I'm trying to say is they didn't have Catholics. They didn't have Pentecostals, right? They didn't have Baptists. They didn't have the Methodists. Sorry, Sister Sharon. They didn't have Protestants. They didn't have any of the denominations. It was all one doctrine, They were all taught the same thing that came straight down from the head of the church, Jesus Christ, right? So Jesus in Revelations 2, chapter 2 and chapter 3, you'll have to go back and read it for yourself, but I'm going to hit on the highlights of that. (coughs) Jesus gives a revelation through John to the churches, the early churches, right? But if you'll pay attention to these, you'll see a picture of us in this revelation that he gets. So he was speaking to the early churches. The Bible has a way of doing this a lot of times, doesn't it? He was speaking to someone else, but it fits us also. It fits today's time. So, so just listen to this. The first one he talks about is in Revelation 2, verse 1 through 7. He's speaking into the loveless church, the church without love, the church without the love of God. Jesus said, I know your works. If you notice on each one of these churches when he speaks to them, he says, first off, I know your works. I know what you've been doing. Now let me tell you what you've done right and what I have against you, what you've done wrong, and what's going to happen here. He does this with every church. This is the loveless church to start with. I know your works. I know that you labor. I know that you have patience. I know that you can't bear those who are evil. I know that you've tested the ones who say they're apostles and are not, and you've called them liars. I know that you you, uh, have persevered and have patience. I know that you've labored for me in my name, for my name's sake, and you've not become weary. Sounds really good, doesn't it, what they've been doing? Nevertheless, in verse four, he says this, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. What's their first love? What's the first love they all had when they started with the same doctrine? It was the love of Christ, right? It was the love of God. They've lost their first love, the love of God. All these works and all the things that they were doing mean nothing if they're not doing it out of the love, of, out of the love for God. Because you can do goodwill, you can do good things, you can be nice to people, you can show yourself off all the time, but it means nothing if you're not doing it out of love. Follow me so far? This is just one church he's talking about. Then he goes on in verse 7. Now get this, there's a pattern right here. In verse 7 he says, He who has ears, let him hear. He who overcomes this, who overcomes what? Not the good things, right? He wasn't talking about the good things. You don't have to overcome the good things because he's pleased with the good things they were doing. He was pleased with the good works. He wasn't pleased. What he had against them was they had lost their love for God. They'd lost their love for Christ, the first love of the church. If you overcome this, And get back to your first love, wasn't he saying here? If you overcome this, you'll inherit the tree of life, right? This was just the first church. Second church, he says this to. This is in Revelations chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. This church here is the persecuted church, right? And I think these persecuted church, the way I read it here, sounds like they were on the right track. I hope this never has to be us because he was giving them some, it, it sounded pretty harsh, but he says, I know your works. Starts off again the same way. I know that you've been through tribulation. I know that you're dealing with poverty. But he says, you are rich. This is Jesus Christ talking. Jesus said all these things. But you're rich. He's saying you're rich because Satan can only harm the physical body. Right? Right. Satan can only harm the physical body, but not spiritual harm. He can't hurt you spiritually. So you're rich spiritually. Even though it doesn't show you don't have money in the bank. You're being persecuted. Some of you are being killed off. He goes on to say in verse 10, some of you are getting ready to go to to prison. Some of you are getting ready to suffer tribulation. He says, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown. Think about that. They knew they were going to prison. They knew they were going to be headed and die in all sorts of creative ways they had to do back then. Jesus was telling them, you're getting ready to die. But be faithful until the end, and you'll receive the crown. Everlasting life, he's promised them. Then he goes on in verse 11 and says, he who has ears, let him hear. Whoever overcomes this will not be hurt by the second death. Overcomes what? Overcomes what? Overcomes the tribulations and the prisons. Can you imagine the fear when Jesus Christ himself says, you're getting ready to be arrested, Brother Stephan, and your head's going to be chopped off. It's getting ready to happen. When Jesus says that you know it's going to happen, these people could have denounced him and went on their way. But if you overcome that fear, if you overcome that, you live through whatever the world throws at you, you'll not be hurt by the second death, he says. Kind of a pattern here. You see the pattern? Revelations 2, 27 through 17 talks about the compromising church. You're going to start seeing some of us in this right here. I know you are going to get really quiet because it made me think about it. I'm telling you. Revelations 2, 12 through 17. Write these down and go back and read them. Just read the whole chapter 2 and chapter 3. They're not very long chapters, but there's a lot of good stuff right here. And if you'll take the time to break it down, there's a lot here you can digest. It's, we're talking about the compri- compromising church. And he says, I know what you've done again. Verse 13, you hold fast to my name, right? We say we're doing it in Jesus' name. We say we believe in God. But, you, but I have a few things against you. Here's what's going on inside the church. Some among you hold to other doctrines. What are the doctrines? There's only one doctrine that came from Jesus, right? It's right here. So if we're holding anything outside of this, He has something against us. Jesus Christ, not me. You've got to deal with God, not me. I'm not here to convict or convince or or to condemn anybody. I'm not here to judge anybody. He's the judge. But he says, I have a few things against you. You you hold the doctrines other than my name. And when you hold those doctrines, when you're calling yourself a Christian, when you're going and saying you're doing it under his name, right? Are you following me? But then you're holding on to other doctrines. You become stumbling blocks for others. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said you become stumbling blocks with others. You've allowed people in the congregation to eat food, sacrificed to idols. You, you've allowed people inside the church to commit sexual immorality. What's sexual immorality? Sex before marriage, right? People say, well, that's not bad because this or this or that. You know what the Bible gives for a definition of idolatry? Idolatry is sex with anyone who's not your husband or your wife. So if you're doing anything outside of having sex with your husband or your wife, you're sexually immoral, right? Not a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Not the woman down the street, not your boyfriend, girlfriend, Well, he says to me, he loves me, and we're planning on getting married. It's not what it says. It says anyone besides your husband or your wife. You follow me? It's sexual immorality. He says he has this against us. In verse 15, he says, though, it's not too late. I'm not trying to condemn you if you're in that situation. He says, repent. Repent. Turn from that thing and turn toward God. Start living according to his doctrines. Repent, he says, in 15. And in 17, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Right? Do you have ears today? Reach out there and grab them. You got ears, right? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Let you hear. He that overcomes will inherit eternal life. If you overcome these things, you'll inherit eternal life. So this message today isn't about condemnation. It's not to knock you down if you're living in some of these ways. And, And let me just tell you about all of us are. About all of us are because there's seven churches here and only two of them are doing good, right? It's kind of a picture of the church today. Only a couple churches out there are really teaching, teaching the whole Bible. Only a couple people in the churches are really living by the thing and taking the word and applying it to their life, right? The Bible says, be not, or, or be not be deceived, or it, basically it says you have to apply the word. What's the scripture? You know the scripture I'm talking about, right? Somebody know it? It's James 5, 7, I think. However, we're going to move along. So he has, who has an ear? Let him hear. Revelations 2, 18 through, 20, through 29 talks about the corrupt church. Jesus said in verse 18, he starts off again. Guess what he says. Anybody know? You catching on the pattern now? Jesus said, I know your works. I know your works. Love, service, faith, and patience. That sounds pretty good so far. But he says, I have a few things against you. You allow Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to seduce, and you allow my servants to commit sexual immorality. So they had a teacher in the church who claimed to be a prophetess, but she was seducing the men of the church and having sex with them. Are you following me? Listen to what Jesus says about her. You eat food, sacrificed to idols. And verse 21 21 through 23 says this. It says, I gave jezebel a chance to repent jesus said he already gave her a chance to repent but since she didn't repent now i'm going to put her in a sickbed she's going to be in a sickbed i'm going to kill her children he says that sounds pretty severe right if you're listening today and you have ears and you can hear this might be your chance to repent she had her chance to repent she was past that chance now jesus was passing down what he was going to do at this point are you following me if you're hearing this today repent today don't wait until later. You, tomorrow might be too late. You need to repent today if you're hearing this today. So he says he'll put her in his sickbed, and he's going to kill her children because of what she's done, and she's had a chance to, pretend she, to repent. He gave her that opportunity just like he gave the rest of the churches. He gave them an opportunity, but she's still doing this inside the church. So this is what's going to happen with her. And he says, unless those who've committed adultery with her, if they repent, he's given them a chance to repent now. Jezebel's already had her chance. Now she's given a chance, he's given a chance to the men. If they don't repent, then they'll be in the sickbed right along beside her. And there's going to be tribulation in their lives. If God convicts you of something, repent at that minute. Isn't that what this is saying here? Don't wait until later. I don't want my children killed, and I don't want to be in a sickbed. I mean, take it for what it's worth. Verse 25 and 26 says, but hold fast till I come, and he who overcomes, I will give power over the nations. Right? Still a promise of the greater good. Still a promise of everlasting life, if you overcome the things that are going on inside that church. Revelations 3, 1 through 6 talks about the dead church, spiritually dead church. Now, we need to understand something here, right? The church is not the four, is not the building. It's not the bricks and the sticks and the windows that make up the building, right? The church is who? It's us, the people. We don't come to the church. We are the church. We bring the church when we come. So he's talking about spiritually dead people here living inside the church, yeah. right? He's talking about sexually immoral people here living inside the church. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about compromising people living inside the church. Let's get that straight. It's not something the Bible taught, right? It's something that people did. They twisted doctrines around things to make them fit themselves a lot of times. And this is what happens. These things happen. There's decay in the church. So a spiritually dead church. He starts off by saying what? I know your works. I know what you've been up to. I know what you're doing. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Picture this. You have a name that you're alive, that you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. Strengthen the things that that remain that are ready to die. So even inside of a dead church, there are still a few members. They got a little life in them. So how would you strengthen those things? The Bible's speaking of right there. Jesus is speaking of rally around them, pray for them, lift them up, right? If you're spiritually dead, ask the people around you to pray for you. Pray for yourself. Get alone with God. Spend some time with him. Fast a little bit if you need to. But we can pull through this. We can pull through anything, Jesus says. Right? A few among you have not defiled their garments. So a few among these dead churches aren't sinning. They're not doing the things that are wrong. Can you see a picture of us today? In verse 5, he says, He who overcomes, who overcomes spiritually dead, being spiritually dead. If you're spiritually dead today, God is willing to give you another charge. If you'll come to him, he who overcomes, I will not wipe the name, I will not wipe their name out of the book of life. That's a pretty big deal, right? I want my name to remain in the book of life. I will not wipe their name from, from the book of life, and I will I will confess his name before my Father. He who overcomes, he's going to do this for Revelations three seventeen or seven through thirteen. I'm going somewhere with all this right here. I'm just giving you the background of this. Right? I'm going to preach when I'm done talking to you about this. <laughs> Try to get where you live at for a little bit. Revelations 3, 7 through 13 talks about the faithful church. Hey, this one here sounds really good. Starts off by saying what in verse 8? I know your works. Set before you is an open door. What do you think he's talking about right there? He's talking about the door to heaven. The door to heaven is set before you. It says no one can shut. The Bible says no one can shut this open door. That means your salvation is assured. For being faithful, right? Because he sees their faithful works. Their salvation is assured. No one can shut that door except if they become spiritually dead. Because didn't it say in the last verse that if they become spiritually dead, that he would wipe their name off the list of the Lamb's Book of Life? It said that, right? Go back and read it. He says, the synagogue of Satan will worship before your feet. The people who are doing the work of, of Satan are going to worship before your feet, he says. You kept my commands, and I'll keep you from the trial that will come upon the whole world. He's talking about the tribulation there. I believe in pre-trib. It talks about it right here, the trial that's going to come on the whole world, the tribulation that's going to come on the whole world. If you're saved, that's what the rapture is about. God's going to rapture, Jesus is going to come back on a cloud, rapture us up out of here before the big tribulation happens. It's going to last seven years. Are you following me? It's biblical. It's in here. Read it. He says, I'll come quickly. Says he'll come like a thief in the night in other places, right? And the twinkle of an eye says it's going to be. When he steps out on that cloud, bam, it's going to happen just like that. There's not going to be time to repent then. You've got to be repented before that. You've got to be living right before that time. When he steps on that cloud and that twinkle of an eye happens, it's over. It's over. You're here for the tribulation says, I'll come quickly, and I'll make you a pillar in the temple of God. Now, it goes on. If you read, read it here, I believe it's in this set of verses right here. It talks about the new Jerusalem. He's talking about heaven. He's going to make this church a pillar in heaven because they were faithful, because they faithfully served him, and they loved him. Revelations 3, 14 through 22 talks about the lukewarm church. Check this out because a, a lot of us might fit in this one. It talks about the lukewarm church. Verse 15 says, I know your works. I know what you've been up to. I know what you're doing. I know what you do behind closed doors when other people aren't looking. I know what you do outside the church, right? He says, I know what you've been doing, and you're neither hot or cold. Jesus even goes on to say, I wish you were hot or cold. Get on one side. Pick a side and get on it. Because he says, he goes on to say this in verse 16, because you're lukewarm and either hot or cold, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. That's what he says. 17 says, you say I'm rich, but you don't know that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked because you've came to God and you think that you're rich because you've seen a little bit of blessing. Oh, boy, this is a picture of us right now. Because to to be able to come to God and and, and when you're you're born, naturally born out of your mother's womb, you're spiritually dead, right? Through having an encounter, that lasting encounter that we should have, through having that that encounter, you're made spiritually alive. All things are passed away. You're a brand new creation, a brand new creature. We've read this in the Bible before, right? Sound familiar? Brand new creature. So then we're a brand new creature, and we become a brand new creature. We're zealous, and we're ready to go. We're fired up. We want to tell everybody about God. Right? You all remember that? You remember back then? And then you get distracted. Not you. We get distracted. We get distracted by life. We get distracted by the blessings that he gives us. We get distracted by ministry. We get distracted by anything out there, by the lust of the world, and we cool off, and we lose our zeal. Isn't that how we get lukewarm? So we think that we're blessed. We think that we're rich because of the blessings that we're seeing in our life, but we're wretched, he says, and we're miserable, and we're poor, and we're blind, and we're naked. That's Jesus Christ. And then Revelation three nineteen through 21 says this, <clears throat> Jesus says this, as many as I love, I rebuke and chastain. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Get excited again. Get your excitement back. Repent. Get back to where you came from. Turn back toward God. Come on, sis. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Can you hear him today? You got ears today? Can you hear this? To him who overcomes, I will grant and set and and I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Overcomes what? Overcomes whatever is keeping you from God, whatever is keeping you from being sold out completely and totally with God. If you overcome that, if you pray to God and he, He's knocking at the door of your heart right now, He's convicting many of you of something right now. He's knocking. If you'll open up that door and allow Him to come in, allow Him to clean you up. You can't clean yourself up anyway. It takes God to clean you up. We can, we can give superficial. I can act like I'm doing good. But it took God to change me. It took God to do that. So if you allow him in to do that and you overcome that sin, whatever's keeping you from being sold out to God, he'll grant you to sit on his throne with him as I also overcome and sit with my father on his throne. That's a pretty great promise right there, right? Yeah. To get to share of Jesus Christ's throne with him. Yes. If we'll overcome, church. Are you willing to repent today? and overcome. That's good stuff right there, isn't it? Yeah. I like that. So to recap, we've talked about a loveless church, lost their first love. They forgot where they came from. They were doing all the good works, but they weren't doing it because out of, out of love for God. The compromising church, Brenda told me a story this week, and it fits really good right here. There was a lady who had lost a, a ton of weight at Weight Watchers, and, and apparently at Weight Watchers, I don't, I've never been there, but if, some of you may have been. If, you, if you've lost some weight at Weight Watchers, if you gain weight back, they if you're losing weight or you maintain your weight, I guess you don't have to pay. But am I telling that right? But if you, if you, if you gain weight back, they make you pay. So she, she, skipped, she gained three pounds back, basically. So she didn't want to go that week. She was going to wait, and she was going to get it off the next week and go back so she didn't have to pay, right? So time went on, and months and months and months went down the road, and she ended up gaining all that weight back that she gained because she wasn't going and being held accountable. Church, that's why God says fail not to assemble yourselves. We have to, as Christians, hold each other accountable. He says, confess your sins one to another that you may pray for each other. That's not to talk about each other. That's not to know what your weakness is so I can stab you in it and poke you in it and run you down. That's so that we can pray for each other and lift each other up and hold each other accountable. Makes sense? So we talked about the comprom- compromising church. We talked about the corrupt church, right? We talked about the dead church. We talked about the lukewarm church. We talked about the persecuted church, which I believe they're on the right side of Jesus, but it, it would be a rough place to be. And we talked about the faithful church. This is the one that I want to be. Anybody want to be faithful? Because those things he says, when he talked to the faithful church, he said, I know what you've been doing. I know your works. And then he went down through and he listed all good things that was going to happen for them. Did he not? It may not always be peaches and cream here on earth, but in the, after time ends, when we go, when, we, when we step out into eternity... It's going to be all good for the faithful church so we're talking about seven churches today who were taught the same doctrine the churches of the people right all these people in all these seven churches started out being taught the same doctrine did they start out corrupt did they start out compromising they start out loveless dead or lukewarm no they didn't start any of those ways luke 13 23 through 24 says this let me give you a time anybody got their bible out I don't hear any pages rustling. I'm assuming that you're already there. Jenny's working on it. Good job, Jenny. Star pupil. God's talking to the church here because Jesus, Jesus is talking to the church here. He was teaching one day, and someone asked this question. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the, through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Right? He's talking to the church, and he says, many, I tell you. So if Jesus walked in today and said, many of you all aren't going to make it. Many of you. What's many mean? Many means much, many, or most. So if we have 50 people in here today, and most of us aren't going to make it, most would be over half, wouldn't it? So if over half of us weren't going to make it, we have to repent, church. We need to repent. Some of us need another encounter with Jesus. Some of us need to get alone with with God. We need to repent. Some of us need to ask God. We might think that we're doing good, but take the time and ask God, Lord, search my heart and make sure that whatever I'm doing, anything that that I'm involved in with is pleasing to you. Search me, God. Show me what it is. Some of us need to take some time and look at our fruits that are coming out of our lives. Not some of us, all of us need to take some time and look at the fruits that's coming in our lives. What fruit are you producing? What fruit am I producing? We're all producing fruit. Right? Is it show of God or is it show of the world? John, Luke, and Matthew all wrote this don't judge a man, judge his fruit. All three of them wrote that. What's keeping you from being sold out to God? What want or what will or what lust is keeping you from being totally and completely sold out to God? I told you it was going to get quiet, right? A couple of you look like you're about to fall asleep. Shake your hands in the air for a little bit. Get woke up. Are you ready? What will, want, or lust is keeping you from being sold out to God? I'm talking about completely sold out to God. In every example, Jesus said he knows the works, right? He knows what's going on with us. Galatians 6 7 says, Be not deceived. God will not be made a fool. God will not be mocked. He knows. We like to pretend that he doesn't know, but he knows exactly what's going on in our life. Jesus talked to a rich man one time, and, and the rich man said, I want to follow you. What must I do? And Jesus said, sell everything that you own. He might, not have had, he might not have had to sell everything that he owned. He said, sell everything you own and follow me. He said, but Lord, I have great possessions. I can't do that. If he have just been willing to, he might not have had to. If he's, if he was reluctant, though, and wound up turning back. You get what I'm saying? If we're reluctant today, we could wind up turning back. Tithe is another area. I don't have to preach about tithe ever because you all tithe, you're great tithers. But listen, tithe means a tenth. That's the definition of the word tithe is one-tenth, 10%. 10% represents a whole. Think about it. If you got 10, every, every number, it doesn't matter from one to a billion, 10 is involved in every number. 1, 2, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and so on. You just start over again with tens and tens and tens. So 10 represents a whole. Right? So if God knows he has that 10th, if he knows that you're faithful in that 10th, then you're faithful in the whole. Are you following me? He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our money. He just, want, he just wants us to be faithful to him. Right? He wants us to be obedient to him. When I was in the world, I went hard toward the world. Right? But when I came to God, I went hard toward God. If I was reluctant to go toward God completely and totally, I would have turned back. Genesis 4 7 says this. Anybody turn in there? Anybody got a fresh amen? A hallelujah? Amen. A jump, a shout? <laughs> Am I boring you today? If you do well, this is God talking to Cain, right? If you, do, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Right? Same thing Jesus was saying, wasn't it? If you overcome, will you not be accepted? Will you not. Accept this everlasting life. Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. That word there, lies, means to crouch. If you look it up in the concordance, it means to crouch. It says, with all four legs bent. This reminds me of like a lion, right? Think about like a lion when he's crouched down and he's sneaking up on something and he's ready to pounce. And the Bible also says our enemy, like a lion, seeking or walks to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. He may devour. He can't just do it. When you ask, may I do something, that means you have to have permission to do it, right? We have to allow him in to do that. Ephesians 4.27 says, neither give place to the devil. So it lies at the door, and it's desire for you, and it's desire for you, but you should rule over it. You should rule over that sin. You have authority over that sin. You have authority over the devil himself. Jesus Christ gave it to us. I'd like to challenge you all this week. Would you be willing to accept the challenge? Hear it out first. I'd like to challenge you to go all in with God. Not half hearted, not halfway in, not what we've been doing. I'm talking about for one week. Go all in with God. Spend time with Him daily. Read your Bible daily. If He convicts you of something, lay it down, repent, ask Him to forgive you of it. You've got nothing to lose. What do you have to lose? You might have to give up a, a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or or whatever it is, but anything that you gain from God's going to be greater than that thing anyway. And if you can't get them back after a week, if it doesn't work and you can't get them back after a week, they weren't worth having anyway. Right? <clears throat> You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. everything to gain. You won't be disappointed in this. Could we do this, church, for one week? One week. When you're playing church, you can't expect to see a change in your life you can't expect to see full benefits you can't give you might you might give a little bit and see a little bit but if you give a lot you'll see a lot see we expect to have a part-time job with full-time benefits that's how we want to treat God but we got to get all in with God if we do this for one week if we'd be faithful to God for one week to, to, to make this commitment and follow it through every day of the week that sounds like a lot every day of the week it's only seven days it's only seven days If it doesn't work, you come back here next Sunday and call me a liar, and I'll be good with it. But I know that if you're faithful to God for seven days, you'll see some things happen in your life. Just seven days. God will do it just to meet you where you're at, just to boost your your faith. God will do it. If you're a a man or woman enough to take this challenge and step out in it. We say we want change in our lives. A lot of us say that. We say we want change in our family. We say we want to see people saved repent 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 the bible re- repent means turn away from can i get everybody to come to the altar today if you can't fit at the altar out your chair i'm serious come to the altar about your chair let's pray to god give this to god ask god where have i been wrong at lord search my heart some of you know exactly where it is some of you need to make a decision to repent of it today before you walk out the building Some of you may think you're doing good. If you think you're doing good and everything's going along well...